0: Hello, and welcome to another unexciting episode of Now Hashtag Pistons, the Hashtag Pistons podcast. I'm Joe, and I am your host. This is episode two of Hashtag Pistons, the formerly unnamed Pistons podcast. Um, So the Pistons are now at ten and three. They had um, yesterday off, and they've got today off. They'll play tomorrow. They beat the Heat on Sunday, and they will be playing the Bucs tomorrow night. Today is Tuesday that I'm recording this. Hopefully it is put up today. We're still ironing out a few of the kinks and I'm getting everything set up. So hopefully it goes up yet today, but we'll see. Um, So yeah, last night, not last night, Sunday night against the Heat, really, really, really solid win for the Pistons. The Heat are not, they're not like world beaters by any stretch, but they're a solid team. I'd still... I don't know why. A lot of people thought they were going to be really good this year, and I didn't really see that. Uh, I'd, I see them something akin to the 2014-2015 Piston squad, except they're older, much older as a team, and in that they've got two guys that are really, really good players, even if they don't make the All-Star team. They're both All-Star caliber players in Goran Dragic and Hassan Whiteside. And then after that, they got sort of a collection of players. Some of them are pretty good, some of them are less good, and a really, really good coach. And, you know, you can win a lot of games like that, but they're not anything particularly special. But the thing is, I'm still not totally sold on the idea of, I guess, I don't know what the best way to put it would be. I guess I'm not totally sold that this Pistons team is, you know, as good as their record right now. Uh, okay, I would say most people would probably say they're not as good as a record, because I don't think they're going to win 60-some games this year, but I'd say that there's a pretty good chance that when all is said and done, this Pistons team and that Heat team will probably be around in the same area-ish by the end of the season, so there's a pretty decent chance that, you know, they're fairly, they should be fairly evenly matched still. I'm not going to say, well, the... He, they're just a 500 team, so the Pistons should be able to beat them easily. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there yet. So really good win, and I really like the way that they grinded it out in particular. Um, the one thing that was a bit of a downer is that for the first time, really, uh, Hassam Whiteside really had a good game against Andre Drummond. Drummond didn't have a bad game, but he didn't have a particularly good one. And in the past, Drummond has really kind of had Whiteside's number. Whiteside, of course, finished with about, with 20 rebounds, 12, not 20 rebounds, 20 points and 12 rebounds, and Andre finished with 8 points and 17 rebounds, so, you know, also 4 assists for Andre, so that's worth, that's worth noting, but just really a solid win, and the big thing coming out of it, of course, that everyone kind of talked about a lot was Luke Kennard played 27 and a half minutes, Uh, he scored 14 points, 3 assists, 5 rebounds, even had a block for good measure. And really, his first major minutes and meaningful game time. And he really, he looked okay, mostly. Uh, I'm currently working on um, uh, uh, my next piece, which is going to be um, really focusing in on... I'm literally going through every play that he was even remotely involved in, and I'm taking a clip of it, and then I'll go through it all. And I'm not all the way done with it yet, but I've been... I'm mostly pretty, pretty impressed. I guess the big thing. No, he's not a very good defender right now, but he he doesn't look totally out of place. He looks like just kind of a normal bad defender, if that makes sense. He doesn't look like the super comically bad defender. And offensively, it really is all there. Um, he still isn't shooting very well on the season, and that's. You know, that's something that you want to have change at some point. He's still only shooting 20% from three. He is up over 40% from overall from the field, which is nice, I suppose. But he's really, you can see, and this is true on both ends, you can see that he pretty clearly has a good understanding of the game and the correct way to play it, I suppose. That's sort of, you know, that's very much so a stereotypical white guy description. But it's it's the truth with him. And he doesn't necessarily actually check all of the normal, stereotypical... I mean, I talked about it a lot after the Pistons drafted him when I did my bit on him. That he actually doesn't really fit the mold of your stereotypical white guy from Duke. And uh, there's a lot of ways in which he doesn't. He's not actually necessarily a super high-effort motor guy. He's actually a pretty decent athlete. He's way more than just a three-point shooter sort of thing, but the one thing that he absolutely does have that's sort of the stereotypical white guy in the NBA thing is that he's a really heady player. He knows, he's quick thinking, and he diagnoses stuff fairly quick. Um, even de- And that's even true defensively, and that's, what, that's pretty big for him because um, the main place he's lacking um, athletically, now there's one thing is that he has not a very long wingspan, I think, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's a little bit shorter than he is tall or whatever, which is most NBA players have longer wingspans. That's a little bit of an overrated thing. There's plenty of really good players who actually have short short arms well compared to the rest of their bodies. Uh, Jimmy Butler is one, actually. His wingspan is not very long, just for example, and he's a fantastic player and a fantastic defender, obviously. But um, that's one thing that's a strike against him as far as sort of natural-born gifts. And then the other thing is that he's not very fast. That's the thing that really stood out to me upon watching it. And I'm not going to go too far into it just because, you know, you'll want to read the piece, hopefully. But that's the thing that really stood out to me is that he's actually got um, some decent amount of sort of quicks in, you know, first step quicks sort of thing, which doesn't always translate very well to defense. But he has at least some basic ability in lateral movement in tight spaces where he really gets in trouble is that he's just he's not a sprinter by any stretch at least he doesn't seem to be to me and uh so that's given him trouble where he's gotten into the most troubles when he's been off ball heavy or even on ball when he's had to try and navigate screens because he just he's struggling to navigate them which is something that pretty much every rookie ever has trouble with just that's just the reality and then if he gets behind a play really at all, he just he's not fast enough to really catch back up to it. And for what it's worth, that speed thing is also a detriment to him offensively at times. Once again, he's got a good first step and sort of, you know, tight space quickness. But if a guy if he doesn't create some separations, so like when they would have him off ball, then have him make a make a move to come to the ball for a dribble handoff or whatever it might be. Um, he's got a nice first step when he goes that he oftentimes can get a, get some space, but if he doesn't get that initial space, he is certainly not going to outrun anybody. And that's a little bit of a detriment. But he actually, once again, he does have some sort of tight space quickness. He's actually got some decent hops. And, uh, yeah, he, he plays the game smart. He still has to work on quite a bit of fundamental things defensively. He's getting his... He's sort of turning his body too much. I'm using, like, motions to show it, (laughs) a very visual podcast. But he sort of turns, he opens his body too far. A lot of times when he's closing out or just guarding on the ball and gives up too much, too easy of a lane to the hoop at times, which is something that's just, you know, form. But once again, he's mostly heady, keeps his head on a swivel, and he, one thing that he has, is actually pretty good at is, and this was true of him in college as well, I believe, that he's actually a pretty decent rebounder for a guard in college, and that's mostly actually held up so far in, admittedly, very limited minutes. But in those very limited minutes this year, that's actually held up that for a guard, he's a decent rebounder. Um, his rebounding percentage has actually been better than Avery Bradley or Stanley Johnson so far this year. Um, once again, it's really small sample size, and it's not worth a whole lot to have a guard who's a good rebounder. But he he can get some rebounds though. He's not incapable there. I think that that sort of being able to think ahead of the play helps because he's sort of able to diagnose things, and because he keeps his head on a swivel, um, he's good at being able to sort of keep an eye on his guy while also being able to quickly, so he knows where his guy is most of the time, so he doesn't necessarily, any time anytime a shot goes up, he doesn't have to turn away from the shot to find his guy to make sure that he has, he's not crashing the boards. And for what it's worth, he also boxes out pretty diligently when he's asked to. So um, I'm mostly impressed with that. And offensively, the whole thinking ahead of the, way, of the plays and such really shone. Shone? Would that be the, really shined, I think would be the word I'm looking for in the game against the Heat, because he really, he makes good quick passes with regularity, and that's something that is really a great sign. Um, I think Zach Lowe actually tweeted out with regards to O.G. Anunobi, who's the rookie for the the Raptors, is that he said, a good way to judge how quickly, how well rookies are sort of understanding the game and adjusting to the speed of the game is passing, and he, once again, he was referring to O.G. Anunobi. I think it's Anunobi, that's how you pronounce it. But he was referring to him with regards to that, and that he's been passing the ball well, and that guy has looked really good for the Raptors, for what it's worth. That looks like it may have been a steal for them. But, um, Kennard is doing that same thing. And he's got some handles, he can put the ball on the floor, he got the ball straight stripped from him by De'on Waiters once, which was not good. But he really, he looks like a really complete offensive player, and he's not a total wash defensively. He's, he struggles with on-ball defense. I don't want him guarding anyone who's a very capable offensive player. But if you can find someone to put him on who's not terribly threatening, he won't kill your defense. And that's worth something. Um, I, I said it about Reggie Bullock in my last recap that, you know, he's not he certainly doesn't defend like Stanley Johnson does. He's not very involved in the offense or whatever, but There's something to be said for the fact that the Pistons can plug him in as a starter, and he's a fairly well-rounded, complete, two way player who even if he's not as good as Stanley Johnson, even if he's not doing a whole lot offensively, he does defend decently and he can shoot on offense. And he just you can plug him in, and even though you do lose some from Stanley Johnson, you can keep on chugging. And that's worth something. And I mean, no Kennard is not defending even close to Stanley Johnson or even Reggie Bullock but it's worth noting that just having a guy who's fairly well-rounded like that it's worth something and here's the thing I said this once again right after they drafted him but so often when people talk about rookies they talk about when you think about potential they always want to think about sort of athleticism because it's like well if he learns to do these skills then he'll then think of how awesome he'll be because he's such a great athlete, and well, there is some truth to that for the most part. Though skills are worth something having them when you arrive. So Like with Andre Drummond, for instance. Now, this is a, some people don't necessarily think it's a skill, but whatever. When he arrived in the NBA, he was he was one of the best rebounders in basketball when he was nineteen, which is not that regular that that happens. I mean, he when he showed up. He didn't have to do anything to become the greatest rebounder and, and second greatest rebounder. Dennis Rodman's first, obviously, in NBA history. He he showed up like that, so that's one thing they didn't have to worry about at all. And then he could work on other skills. But it's like, think about it like this: if we say, for instance, that you start that these guys mostly start playing basketball at any sort of competitive level, we'll just say eight years old ish, because. I, some people start earlier than that, but you're not really learning that much until you're, like, 7 or 8, usually. But regardless, we'll just say 8 years old, okay? So they start to play actual basketball when they're 8 years old. So, and then you're 20, Luke Kennard is, I think he's actually 21 now, I believe. But, um, yeah, so you've got, so from the time you're 8 to the time you're 21, which is what Luke Kennard is, you've got, what is it? <laughs> You've got 13 years that you have been practicing and learning to play basketball. Now, obviously, once you're in the league, you're doing spending a lot more time. But let's say you're going to play until you're, you know, 35 or whatever. You've spent about half of your basketball life already, close to it, not quite. You spend around half of your basketball life, though, already having, you know, before you get to the pros. And so if you show up in the NBA with all these skills, like Luke Kennard does, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to like be practicing how to, how, to, how to handle the ball or how to read defenses and such right now. He, just, he gets to practice on getting even better at those things. So, for instance, you think about, you know, and here's a guy, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, now, he's obviously, the, like, the perfect example of, oh, he's got all this potential if he can just learn. But when he arrived in the NBA, he had to learn all of these skills. And guess what? He still can't shoot. Now, of course, with him, he's such an absurd athlete that it doesn't even matter. He's he's great. I'm not knocking on Giannis. But there's something to be said for being able to show up and have these skills and not just in the basic idea of um, of that You know, he can contribute right away, which is a benefit, but it's within the fact that his baseline is already higher than so many other guys. So if you're putting in the theoretical same amount of work, he can get even better at those things. I, okay, like here's a good example. Steph Curry, he showed up in the NBA as a great shooter. Like, and now he's even better. He's gotten even better as a shooter. Whereas if you get a guy like Stanley Johnson who showed up in the NBA as a, like, and he shot pretty well in his one year at Arizona, but, like, a maybe kind of shooter, but not very good. He has to put in a ton of work to get to even, like, fairly competent as a shooter. Luke Kennard can put in a ton of work and then become an elite shooter. And I think people oftentimes forget that it's not 2K. You know, it's not just as simple as, you're going to get better at all of these skills, and that's going to be that. And then once you get better at them, then you just, you stay good forever at them. You have to continually work on skills to keep them at an NBA-ready level, and when you show up without having to improve certain skills anymore, it means you can focus on other areas of your game and become a more complete player, so that's something that's worth noting for Luke Kennard. I really, I've been impressed, I was impressed with him, and I've mostly still been impressed with him so far this year. Uh, He does need to start hitting more threes, but it's such a small sample size, that's not a big worry yet, um, because, you know, he hasn't played very much, but... He really, I'm impressed with him. He can do a lot on offense, and I don't know exactly. The problem is that he's behind some good players in the rotation. Obviously, when Stanley Johnson comes back, I would guess that, uh, that Stan Van Gundy will be less willing to go to those three guard lineups with bench units. Um, he's never been particularly fond of doing that. He's mostly done it as a matchup thing. So, like, it worked out well against the Heat because the Heat liked to go with three-guard lineups quite a bit. And so Stan Van Gundy essentially just matched that by playing Luke Kennard and Avery Bradley or Luke Kennard and Lanks and Galloway on the floor together at the same time. But, um, I and you know, Lanks and Galloway's played really well this year. So the reality is that if Luke Kennard isn't in the rotation for the rest of the season... That's not necessarily a huge worry, but I kind of... I think he maybe should get some runs still, though. I've really been impressed with him. So, yeah, Luke Kennard. <laughs> um, beyond just the game last night is just sort of the question of, is this team for real? Like, how good is this team? Now, this 10-3 and record right now, probably not that good because with that sort of a record... If they kept up something akin to that pace, they'd be pushing 60 wins this year. I would say it's probably fair to assume that they're not going to push for 60 wins. Um, just, I don't think they will do that. But, I you know, here's one thing that's worth noting. I kind of touched on it in my recap, but when you look at the wins so far, even if it is just a hot streak, it's worth something that they're I, I think the tur I think that Stan Van Genie really hit it on the head with what he said. He said we're banking wins and I think that that's a great way to put it. So like even if you say well in reality this is a like a 500 team, which I actually think they're probably better than that. I would say five a 500 team would have been the lower end of the um, outcomes for this team. but let's just say that's what they actually are. They are a 500 caliber team. And right now, Tobias Harris is shooting absurdly well, and um, uh, who else is who else would be? I mean Tobias Harris is a big one. He's shooting over fifty percent on six and a half three-point attempts per game. That's <laughs> that that's <laughs> that's absurd. And Langston Galloway is also shooting really well, although he's less absurd of a level. But let's just say that Tobias Harris shooting so well is having an abnormal effect. Right? It's not as large because the Pistons as a whole are not necessarily shooting that incredible from three but whatever we'll just go with it right so they're playing really well right now they're playing better than they actually are and then pretty soon they're going to go back down to their level and they will be a 500 team for the rest of the year even if they did that because they made the most of this hot stretch and won a bunch of games they probably would still finish with like somewhere in the mid to upper 40s with wins depending on how long it would take them to regress to being that 500 level team and you know that's that's worth something so even if they do regress from here they're already off to such a great start that they it's going to help them in the long run and you know when i look at, i looked at this team before the year and i figured that they were probably a sort of the middle of the road would be about 45 wins for this team. I thought on the upper end, so like if things go really well, they could maybe they would probably be able to push 50, maybe even get into the 50s. And if things went poorly, then they would end up in the lower 40s and disaster area would be below 40. So absolute like rip-roaring success would be more than 50 wins. Absolute disaster would be below 40 wins and then sort of between 40 and 50 would be about where I figured they would be, somewhere in that range. And I would mostly look at the team so far and say that it just is a good sign that they're going to trend up towards the rip-roaring success. Um, because even within the idea that they may be playing really well right now, and once again, Tobias Harrison, even though he's one player, As a team, the Pistons are actually not shooting that absurdly well from three. They're shooting 38% as a team, which is ninth in the NBA. I'm going to actually double-check something here, though. What would that have been last year? If they stuck with 38%, they would have been fourth in the NBA last year. So they probably will decline a bit as a team overall. But it's not just... But Tobias Harris is a big part of that right now. So they will probably decline as a team overall. But, I mean, they certainly have added a whole bunch of shooting. I think no one would argue argue with that. What on earth happened? Somehow I got messed up. Oh, right. <laughs> I was still on last year's where they were like the worst three point shoot, one of the worst three point shooting teams I thought I was back in the shoot. My apologies. So they'll probably regress from there a bit, but they're not, it's like the Orlando Magic were shooting like 40-some percent for a while, and opponents were shooting absurdly badly against them, and it's just like, that's, yeah, that's, that's not gonna, that's not gonna happen. Whereas the Pistons are shooting well from three, but not absurdly well from three, and um, and the Pistons do not have an absurdly good, teams are not shooting absurdly bad from three against them. Opponents are actually shooting 36%, which is exactly 15th in the NBA. So opponents are shooting exact, pretty much exactly average. Generally, league average has been about 35%, so that'll probably go down as the season goes on. So, And then you look at the um, net rating for the teams. The Pistons have the 6th best net rating in the NBA, which, once again, that indicates they're probably outplaying themselves a little bit right now, but not by a huge margin. And... You know, it's just there's a lot of signs that say that this is a actually going to be a good team. They'll prob they will regress from this you know sixty some win pace they're at right now, but not in too huge of a way. And so I'd say that they're just they're likely to end up close to fifty wins unless disaster happens, obviously. But I think that that could be a real thing. Um, one of the big things, obviously though, which I've already talked about here, is Tobias Harris's shooting. He's not going to shoot 50%. But, geez, we're almost a month into the season and he's still shooting like this. And it's like I don't even know what to say in a way because Tobias Harris has not been a good three-point shooter his entire career. And yet every single night he's just absolutely tearing it up. And, you know, it's funny because it's, you know, people talked a lot about how the Pistons added a bunch of shooting this offseason, which they did, but when you look at the starting lineup, a big difference has been that Tobias Harris has shot absurdly well from three, other than that first game, Stanley Johnson has shot well from three, and then obviously Reggie Bullock, even though he hasn't shot very well, he's a good shooter for when he's been starting, and then Langston Galloway's been shooting really well from three, and obviously adding Anthony Tolliver is an improvement over John Lure's three-point shooting from last year, so... But in essence, last year um, last year, Contavious Caldwell-Pope was the Pistons' best three-point shooter. Um, actually, Reggie Jackson was by a slight margin, I think, but he wasn't shooting as much as KCP was. But, so KCP was the best three-point shooter at 35%, right? Yeah, Reggie Jackson was slightly above him, but was on much lower attempts per game. About yeah, so KCP at 35%. <laughs> that would be good. That thirty-five percent mark would be fifth on the team so far this year. Fifth, and Anthony Tolliver is likely to get back above that. And if you cut out the, and if you cut out that first game, then he'd be behind Stanley Johnson too. So if you cut out that first game, he'd actually be sixth. And then Anthony Tolliver is likely to get above that at some point. So the reality is, there's a pretty good chance. And Reggie Bullock is also shooting, like, crap from three. There's a pretty decent chance that he would be, like, seventh on this team in three-point shooting percentage, the guy who was their best three-point shooter last year. And in essence, what they did was they took several bad three-point shooters and have now replaced them with some elite-level three-point shooting. So, like, Tobias Harris, they've replaced this year's Tobias Harris with They've replaced last year's Tobias Harris, who was a mediocre three point shooter, with this year's Tobias Harris, who's like Clay Thompson three point shooter. They took KCP from last year, replaced him with Avery Bradley, who's been an elite shooter so far this year. They took John Luehr last year, who became a total non shooter, replaced him with Anthony Tolliver, who's been a good three point shooter, and Henry Allenson occasionally, who's shot decently, shot thirty three percent. And I mean, and they also another thing that shouldn't be unnoticed noticed. A lot of his Smiths' minutes have now gone to Reggie Jackson, so they took a total non-shooter and replaced him with a decent shooter, Reggie Jackson. And then also Marcus Moore shot like absolute crap last year. He shot like 31%, I think, and then since that first game, Stanley Johnson's been at like 38%. So they essentially took almost every single position for minutes and made a major upgrade at three-point shooting. And the question is going to be, is Tobias Harris going to continue being an elite-level shooter and can Avery Bradley continue to be a really good shooter? I think that's a big question. And then also Stanley Johnson. Um, Avery Bradley is obviously pretty believable that he could keep up something around this pace. Um, he shot 39% last year. He's been in the upper 30s. This would be a high watermark for his career, I believe. He's at 41.4% right now. Um, let me just double-check that. Yeah, this would, be, um, this would be the best shooting year of his career. He's been up at 39% two times before last year, and then also back in 2013, 2014. But, yeah, so he's mostly been in the mid to upper 30s, though. So this would be a high watermark for him, but he's been at 39% a couple of times before, so certainly believable, and I would expect him to stay at the very least in the upper 30s. Stanley Johnson, who knows? Tobias Harris, I mean... Who knows? Supposedly he had um, LASIK surgery. Not supposedly, he did have LASIK surgery this past offseason. And supposedly that's helped him a great deal. And I just it's kind of unbelievable. Honestly, him shooting like that from three is almost like Andre Drummond's improvement at the free throw line, where it's like you look at it and it's like there's nothing here that suggests that it's not believable. So like Andre Drummond's not down to sixty three percent on the year. Right? which he's looked like a 67% free-throw shooter. And that's what it looks like. Same with Tobias Harris shooting from the three. It's like he looks, obvious once again, not 50%, but it's like he looks like an elite three-point shooter. The sort of shots he's taking, the confidence he's taking them with, that's what he looks like. And (laughs) it's just, it's so absurd to think that a guy could just go from, such a low level to such a high level so quickly. Obviously, Obviously, Tobias Harris was at a higher level with his three-point shooting than Andre Drummond was with his free-throw shooting, of course. But I think that he could. Um, I think that he could end up finishing the year in the 40s. I actually do think that because he just, he's shooting with so much confidence. It clearly was a point of emphasis. Um, Stan Van Gundy has said as much, and if that keeps up, then that is that is just like it's an improvement on a similar level as Andre Drummond's free throw shooting, it's as radically sort of almost franchise-altering on a similar level as Andre Drummond's free throw shooting because having a power forward who can shoot lights out from three is so important when you have an offense that's, even though they've gone to a lot more motion stuff, they still, at their course, kind of a pick-and-roll offense. When that is still sort of your core offense... Having a power forward who can just shoot the lights out is so important to it. And it's been a problem for them since they got Tobias Harris is that he's not a clean fit. I've talked about this a bunch on the show already, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But it's so important, and that would be revolutionary for this team. And just, man, every, honestly, just kind of everything is working out for them right now. And that's the thing that is probably going to change. Because at some point, it's going to stop. Tobias Harris is gonna have a stretch where he doesn't shoot that well from three. Um, guys are gonna start to miss shots, they'll turn it over too much, stuff like that, but they're I'm impressed as hell by him. So yeah. Um last thing to look at is uh yeah, because we're at a half hour. So last thing to look at, upcoming game against the Bucks. Um The Bucks obviously are, in most people's opinion, improved after trading for Eric Bledsoe. They have won three in a row. They did beat the Spurs. The Spurs are good, um, but then they also beat uh, the Lakers and they beat Memphis. Memphis is not a bad team, but they have slumped since their very good start. They're now all the way. They started at what five and one or six and one, and they're now down to seven and six. So they've been slumping down to about where they probably are going to be this year. I guess they'll be around five hundred, give or take some, depending on how they are health wise. But, um, you know, I actually think that they're not necessarily that the Eric Bledsoe trade. Now, if they continue to win, it'll be hard to argue with it. But um, I think that the Eric Bledsoe trade is actually not going to help them as much as a lot of people seem to think. Um, A big thing for with this recent winning streak, because they had lost like, yeah, they'd lost four in a row, one of which was to the Pistons, if you recall. Um, But Greg Monroe had actually gotten hurt, and that had really been a problem for them. And so that's one reason why they've started winning games. I think they would have won games if Greg Monroe had just come back healthy and started playing again. But sort of the the problem with it, with that trade, and I guess the way that I look at it and why I think that it's going to be, I think they'll be a better team now, but I think it'll be a bit marginal, is that, um, well, there's a couple of things. First off, they're now almost comically thin up front, both literally and figuratively. From the figurative standpoint of that, now John Henson is your starting center, and John Henson's not all that good. And your center line, your center rotation is now John Henson and Thonmaker. John Henson, like, he can block some shots, but he doesn't do a whole lot else, and he does some sort of really basic stuff on offense and defense. But he's... I. He's not that good. He's—I would say—he's below average for a starting center. And Maker can shoot, but he's still learning to, the ropes on a whole lot of things. He's—you know—I'm—all jokes aside—he's like 20 years old. He's still learning all of the ropes, and he may or may not actually be all that good. And the other thing is that literally they're very thin. In that, like John Henson weighs like two pounds soaking wet. What are they listed at? I'm curious now. John Henson is listed at 229, which I'm not. And he is he is almost seven feet tall, but I'm not I'm not sure I buy that. And Thom Maker is listed at 216. At 7 foot 1, you weigh 216 pounds. Like (laughs) that is uh that is not big. And I think that, and Greg Monroe, even though not a great defender, but he, for what it's worth, first off, he has improved a lot over the last several years. He's not a terrible defensive player by any margin anymore. But just having a guy who's big enough that he can clean the glass, he can do stuff in the paint, sort of control the paint on both ends, is really worth something. And they don't have anyone who can have even a slight hope of doing that anymore. And the other thing is that, Eric Bledsoe is not necessarily the cleanest fit. He's a guy who really should have the ball in his hands to be effective. He's not a particularly good shooter. Um, He's a really good defender when he's motivated at the very least. And he can get buckets. But a lot of people are acting like this is sort of the revolutionary move that's like, this is it, they're going to be set now, this is their guy, they're going for it. And I actually don't see that. Um, I think the biggest improvement, honestly, for them about this is that they're not going to have to play Matthew Vadova serious minutes anymore. They'll be able to play their point guard rotation will be well. Obviously, Giannis kind of plays a point, but their point guard rotation now is going to be Eric Bledsoe and um, and uh, what's his name, um, the president Malcolm Brogdon, and that's going to be their that's going to be their point guard rotation now, and now that's a really, sh- that's gone from Malcolm Brogdon is good, he's a solid starter, but he's not particularly notable, I a a lot of people really like him, he's a good player, he can shoot, and he defends, and that's always worth stuff, but not like a super remarkably good player, he's a good player, and that's kind of, you know, he's really good at his role, I guess, he, we'll see exactly where he ends up being as his career goes on. But he's at the very least a really good role player. At the best, he's like an elite level role player. Um, so, But as your starting point guard, that's not necessarily awesome. And then they had, behind him, they had Matthew Della Vidova, who's been really not good for them since he's arrived. Now you've got Eric Bledsoe as your starter, who's a very, very good point guard. And then Malcolm Brogdon, potentially elite level role player coming off the bench. And so that makes that, just rotation a whole lot better for them and sort of stabilizes it. But they're going to have problems down low. Or problems down low. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, Andre Drummond abused them in the last game that they played against the Bucks when Greg Monroe was out. And I see no reason why that isn't going to be true again. It's I, just, I think this is officially going to become a really good matchup for the Pistons. The one thing that's worrying is that Stanley Johnson is probably, at least I think, reports are that he's probably still going to be out. Um, I don't think they've officially ruled him out. It's still very much so day-to-day. But if he doesn't play, then that becomes a much tougher game, because he really played great defense on Giannis, and he's a really good guy to guard Giannis, because He's strong enough that he can sort of just keep him out of the paint. And if you do that, then you can keep Giannis from completely taking over the game. And without him, um, <laughs> I guess theoretically, uh, excuse me, I guess theoretically, Reggie Bullock would be guarding him, which not, not ideal. I would, I would actually not be surprised if they ended up going with um, Tobias Harris guarding him. Probably, which also not ideal. Um, another guy who's, like, maybe would have some shot would be John Luer but he's also probably going to be hurt, so it'll probably be some combination of Reggie Bullock, Tobias Harris, and Anthony Tolliver guarding Giannis, and <laughs> I don't feel nearly as good about that as I do about Stanley Johnson guarding him, so that's one thing that will be different this time, if Stanley Johnson doesn't play, that would be a problem, I would guess Giannis would probably be in for a pretty big game. But I still think that the Bucks are not going to have any sort of a good answer for, for, uh, for Andre Drummond in the paint because they just they don't have anyone who should be able to box him out, and it's going to cause them problems again. And I think that's going to be a problem for them all year. They are going to struggle defensively, and they're going to struggle to clean the glass. And teams that are built to take advantage of that, which the Pistons are, is, it's going to be a problem and also i take heart in the fact that the pistons clearly know how they want to attack the the bucks off defensive strategy which and they know how to do it and reggie jackson is was really, reggie jackson was really excellent in the last game against the bucks and so that also gives me some good hope so yeah everything's really going well right now so enjoy it embrace it bask in it but also remember that at some point it's probably going to stop going so well but On the plus side, even if this is just a really hot streak, they're making the most of it. Because there are a lot of times where you get a team that they go on a hot streak from someone. It's like they have one guy, like Tobias Harris is right now, where he's just shooting absurdly well. And it's really making the team better than they really are going to be long term. But they don't win a lot of the games. At the very least, the Pistons are making the most of their hot streak. So, yeah. That's it for today. I will see everybody later. Stay beautiful and go Pistons!